We've been in this really cool series on relationships called It's Complicated because it's complicated. The first weekend we had three amazing couples, just killer, killer nuggets on marriage. Three different couples, one at each gathering. Uh, I know that I, I came away with some rock solid stuff for my own marriage that I took away. And then last weekend, my dad, J.O., lead pastor, he, he shared on parenting, which is kind of cool to like as his kid to hear it was cool. But now I don't just hear it as his kid. I hear it as his kid who's raising a kid. And it totally changes the game when you hear a parenting message and you're like in the middle of it and you're like, I need help. And so if you missed, if you missed either of those weekends, please, please go on our website and watch those. I, I guarantee it's, you will be so impacted and edified by these messages, this wisdom from the word of God on how we can have healthier marriages and how we can great, be great parents. And how many of you know that our nation and our world needs those two things to thrive inside the church? How many of you know that marriage statistics should not look the same in here as it does out there? Oh, we can't even go there tonight. That's not what we're talking about. Don't get me started. <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to begin in Philippians chapter 2 tonight. And... Uh, this is, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, but it's really interesting where he's writing from. He's writing from prison. He's writing from prison in Rome. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to read starting in verse 1. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Philippians 2 started at the very beginning. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I added that. This, no. <laughs> that wasn't Wookiee for something else. Okay, anyway. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Amen. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours and who? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Ooh, I love this scripture. This is God's word. You may be seated. Come on, Philippians 2. Ooh, thank you, Lord, for your word. 
<clears throat> About 15 years ago, be, before all the hair on my head fell off and stuck onto my face, I went to a youth camp and uh, when I, I, I met a girl at the youth camp and uh, we exchanged numbers and um, we stayed in touch and we liked each other. And so as things began to unfold, we, um, we started talking to more and more and it began to bud into something of a relationship. And so we talked with our parents about it and there was blessing there. And then we were headed toward a dating relationship and then there were some of her church leaders who were like, they asked us to pump the brakes and, and, and asked us to just remain friends and not, and not enter into official dating relationship. And we said, cool, all good. And we honored those, we honored those leaders. And um, we continued to talk and just were friends and, and did things on that basis. As time passed, however, these church leaders made it clear that our decision to not officially date was actually not enough. And so the restrictions became tighter and tighter and tighter until eventually, according to my understanding, because I didn't hear it firsthand, there was an ultimatum given uh, to her. And it was basically like cut off communication or you're not in leadership here. To my understanding, of course, right? And of course, I would never like talk about who this was or anything like that. I'm just saying this is, this is the experience. And so we ended up cutting off contact completely. Uh, I was deeply offended by how this situation played out, deeply. And, uh, and I let this offense take root in my heart, deeply. And it led me to spiraling in a very bad way for about seven months. And when I say spiraling, I mean spiraling, like my life. Uh, I adopted this mindset. And uh, be careful with this mindset. This is what I adopted during those seven months. The church mistreated me even when I was playing by the rules. So why should I play by the rules anymore? That's how I felt. And that's how I lived. During those seven months, I lived a double life. Keeping up appearances at home and at church while totally living in the flesh for myself at school and with friends. Near the end of those seven months, I became physically sick to the point that I was unable to work. I was sick for about six weeks. And uh, the doctors couldn't tell me what was wrong with me. We went to several doctors. I remember my mom taking me to, I think, three different doctors, three different diagnoses, nothing that we could work with. I still don't know exactly what the physical sickness was, but I have come to believe that it had something to do with the sickness of heart that had plagued me for the past six months or so. Um, that's really all I can say about it. I mean, you, we can talk about the, the theology and the doctrine and, and so on and so forth, but I believe that there was an intricate tie between how sick I was inside and it manifesting in my physical body. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it happens. Um, it's just, it just is. In the New Testament, the word for offense in the original Greek is uh, skandalon. You may have heard that word before, skandalon, which literally means a snare or a trap. And when I think of a trap, the first picture that enters my mind is like a mouse trap, which I had to actually lay 
uh, several of those out in my shed uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, by the way, on a mousetrap, you know, the, the typical thing is um, you think of like cheese. Cheese actually is not that good of an idea if it's solid because they can just snatch it and run with it. But if you kind of paint the trap with peanut butter, it causes them to linger. And as they linger, they have more chances of doing a misstep and causing the, the trap to snap. You see, the way that traps work is that they rely on your attention being in one direction, peanut butter, and from a different direction comes danger. You see, with, with the trap of offense, our focus is on the pain that was caused by the person externally. So our focus is on the external. They hurt me. Ever been there? They hurt me. But the danger actually comes from the inside. The danger and the, the trap that is offense is what, what begins to corrode and tighten its grip around our mind, our emotions, and even our physical bodies. Our tension's over there, the peanut butter's over there, and all of a sudden, we're trapped from the inside. Now, I know firsthand what it means to be trapped in offense. I lived that way. And I've seen offenses, not only in my own life, but, but um, among people that I've worked with, that when they're not handled healthily, they wreak havoc in people's lives. And I'm telling you, it's not limited to one area of their lives. It's not just that they struggle in their emotions. It is all inclusive in the worst way. Offense can do some horrible things when it's left undealt with. Offense can help, can make you feel justified in your sin. Oh, this is, this, this is a dangerous place to be. The, it's the thought process. What I'm doing isn't anywhere near what they did to me. Or I was caused so much pain by them. I deserve to enjoy a little X, Y, Z. Like, you, you, like, do you, do you understand that this is at the root? This is at the root of the, the concept and the, and the mentality of, of, of a victim. It's the idea that I, pain was inflicted onto me. Wrong was done to me. So the wrong that I do is more justified than it was before. I can do wrong because wrong was done to me and it could never measure up to the wrong that was done to me. So I can kind of do as much wrong as I need to in order to feel better about myself. Offense makes you feel justified in your sin. Offense can keep you from deep relationship. You ever, you ever heard people just say, I, I have trust issues. Or I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't let people get too close because as long as they don't get too close and they can't really hurt me when they turn their back on me. As long as I don't let people too close, then when they burn me, I won't feel that burnt. So I just keep people at about an arm's length in order to protect myself. That comes from offense and it keeps you from the fullness of relationships that God has for you. Offense can keep you, oh, some, somebody's gonna get offended in this one and I don't care. <laughs> It'll be good though. This is about to root, this is about to dig some, some, some rooted stuff. Offense can keep you from getting rooted in community. Here's the, here's the thought. I don't need leadership or accountability in my life. I only listen to the Holy Spirit. This one hits so close to home, I can't even tell you. Let me, let me just encourage you with this. If the only person you listen to is the Holy Spirit, I believe you that you're listening to a spirit. But it isn't holy. 
and it isn't clean. Because you've stepped out from underneath God's design for community and relationship and spiritual authority. And you may be going, well, Seth, that's a very self-serving point. You're in spiritual authority. Look, I don't care if it's here, the next church, or the church 30 minutes away. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you're under the, the spiritual authority that I'm a part of. I'm just saying you need to be under some spiritual authority because you going out in the woods with just the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, the kind of counsel that you're going to get is going to be unchecked. It's going to be unac- unaccountable and it's not going to be sound because it is in the secret place in which we cultivate intimacy, but it is in community where we cultivate accuracy. You, you, it's, you're not just responsible to know God, you're responsible to know him right. The worshipers that God desires will worship him in spirit. Yes, they will, but they will also worship him in truth. Offense will keep you from being rooted in community. Offense can even detour your destiny. I was so caught up in self-justification when I got offended that I was this close to making decisions that could have permanently impacted the trajectory of my life. Now, I absolutely believe in the sovereignty of God, okay? But here's the thing that God does in his sovereign, sovereignty. He, he sovereignly hands decisions to you for you to make for yourself And those real decisions have real consequences. And he's sovereign in the midst of it. And you have responsibility, friend. Don't let offense detour your destiny. So I want to, I want to share with you a couple things about how I've learned how to deal with offense. And I hope it will help you. Now I'm not complete in this though. I'm, I'm far from it. I, this is something that I'm learning and something that even, even as I was preparing, I could feel the, the spiritual warfare, like the battle began. And all of a sudden I'm preparing to preach this message and I am being tested. <laughs> tested. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the grocery store and I was picking up some stuff for hunting. And I saw a person who I thought I had dealt with everything. I thought that I had forgiven fully. I thought there was no bitterness. I thought there was no unforgiveness. I thought we were good. And I saw that person's face and I felt, it felt like a sword from my belly button to my heart. It, it hit me so hard, I immediately jerked back and went like this. And I went, that's not dealt with. That's not dealt with. And I had to go back to the Lord and go, look, I thought I dealt with this, but whatever layers are still there, whatever stronghold is still there, God, search my heart. Search my heart. I don't want, I don't want to just think I forgave them. I, don't, I, I, I want to forgive them from top to bottom, from head to toe, from the outside to the inside, every part. I want to be whole. I'm not complete in this. But I have learned a couple of things that have helped me so that I don't, don't ship my, shipwreck my life like I almost did. Did I, did I say it? I got I to gotta get away from the word ship because I, I struggle with, with uh, enunciation of, of the P at the end of that. I'm sorry. 
I, I, I mean, either way, either word, I want to help you not do that. <laughs> I want, I want to give you some tools. Uh, we're going to, we're going to call these for lack of a better term. We're going to call it the five levels of overcoming offense, five levels of overcoming offense. Okay. Level one is this level one is when they do the work, when they do the work, Luke 17, three through four says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. (laughs) This is for all the accountants in the room. All those who have the little tally marks of how many times you've forgiven. Shall I forgive my brother seven times? No, I say to you 70 times seven, which means stop counting. This is the beginner level. This is typically the easiest situation in which to deal with an offense. When the person who you felt hurt by comes to you and repents, asking you to forgive them. Some of you are like, that's really hard. This is the easiest level. It doesn't mean it's easy. It means it's the easiest. It's all hard. It's all hard. But here's the deal. When someone asks for forgiveness, it is your spiritual responsibility to forgive them. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. You can't write that one away. That's Jesus talking, by the way. Well, you can't, you can't do like the whole, oh, that's the old covenant. No, no, that's the Lord. That's the savior. That's his way and his law. And then you might be thinking, okay, I got it down. If someone, if someone comes to me and repents and asks for forgiveness, okay, I, I can, I can handle that. But what if they don't repent? What if they don't repent? Sometimes I think I, I've heard Christians say, is it, do I have to, like, can you tell me the scripture where if, if they don't ask for forgiveness and they don't repent that I still have to forgive them, do I have to, am I, am I obligated to? Just the mere reality of asking that question tells me that you do not understand forgiveness. You don't understand unforgiveness because here's the deal. That's, that's, like, saying, that's like saying this. So if they don't repent and they don't ask for forgiveness, does that mean, does, does that, mean that I that I don't have to drink the antidote for the poison that's eating me from the inside. Like I don't have to, I don't have to, like, I don't have to let go of, of the, the sword that I'm holding by the blade. Like I don't have to let go of that. Right. If they don't repent. Well, unforgiveness destroys us from the out, the inside out. And the idea of, do I have to forgive means you don't get forgiveness. You want to forgive. Trust me. You want to know the most tormented people on this planet? People who are holding unforgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision. And it's a decision that Jesus requires of us. Yes, feelings are involved and important. They are. God has feelings. He created us as emotional beings. This isn't me. I don't want to discount feelings in here and say, you need to be unemotional. You just need to be a stoic. And no, God made you emotional. But feelings do not lead the life of a disciple. 
A disciple's life is a life of decisions. Follow your heart is one of the devil's craftiest deceptions that has ever crept into Christianity. If you came into this room and you thought follow your heart was from the Bible, or you thought follow your heart was wisdom, or you thought follow your heart was good counsel, it's wrong. Let me just, let me share something with you real quick. You can take this one home. Have you ever heard of or seen the tassels that some Jewish people wear on the corners of their garments? You've heard of them or seen them? They're called tzitzit in Hebrew. Listen to what God says in Numbers 15, 39 about the purpose of the tassels, because they have a purpose. How many of you guys know that God's rules have purposes? They mean something and they're important. They're not empty. Listen to this. They're for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them. Wait for it. Not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. Don't follow your heart. Make the decision to forgive. Make the decision to follow Christ and bring your heart along for the journey with you as a companion, not as a guide. You got to bring your heart, but your heart can't lead. You mad at me yet? That's okay if you are. We're going to keep moving. I'm going to keep preaching the word to you. Level two, when you have to do the work. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him, to be, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. <laughs> that last sentence always has a little bit of a sting to it. <laughs> Words of Jesus. He's not your hippie dope smoking buddy. Sorry. He's got standards. The second level is quite a bit more difficult than the first. I'll be real with you. This one, I hate doing this one. <laughs> but I do it. You better believe I do it. It trips up a lot of people. This is when you actually have to go to the person and communicate how they have sinned against you. A couple of things about this passage. Number one, notice that the very first command in this passage is to go. You can fight me on this, but when it comes to sharing negative emotion toward a person, when it comes to sharing pain or sharing about sin, you should go. You should not text them. You should not craft a really well-worded email. You should go. And what you definitely shouldn't do is post a passive-aggressive social media post about it. Now, it's just meant for general. Just generally, I wish people would stop doing this. Shut up. <laughs> Deal with your offenses. Go to the person. Your thousand friends don't need to know about the one friend who did you wrong. Go. You know, so many of us, so many of us, we like to quote that passage. 
where two or three or two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It's a great passage. Do you, do you know where that verse is found? Right here. Right here. In the context of dealing with sin and offenses. Right here. We can all agree that the presence of God is important. Raise your hand if you agree that the presence of God is important. Some of you need to wake up. We can all agree that we, that we are made in God's image. Oh, y'all need to read the Bible. Hello. We're made in God's image. The presence of people is important. The presence of people changes atmospheres. You want to be able to deal with offenses properly? Get in the room with them. No, I'm telling you, 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 can, you can buck that all you want. You walk away and say, I'm, I'll just chew the meat and spit out the bones. That was meat. The second part about this passage, notice how not one step of this process instructs you to go to another person without the offender. Even though that's the tendency of what most of us do, not only as step one, but the only step. I'm hurt. I'm gonna go talk to someone else about the other person who hurt me (laughs) because then I can vent. Do you know what's not in the Bible? Venting. It's like, I earned my right to vent. No, you didn't. You have no right to vent. Oh, I just, I just stepped, I just stepped on someone's sacred cow just with that one right there. I just straight up shot someone's sacred cow. That's okay. That's okay. The only step where another person gets involved is after you've gone to them alone and you bring someone with you. Now, I will talk about one caveat right now, just because I know some of you are probably thinking it. And that is the idea of wise counsel. And I do believe, I do think it's fair to say that there's a place to receive wise counsel when you don't know how to handle the situation. But be ever so careful with this caveat because a lot of people like to gossip and then call it wise counsel. And gossip, if you read in the New Testament, if you see what it's listed with, it's very bad news and it's very grave under the new covenant. Gossip is not light. So a helpful test. If you wanna know the difference between wise counsel and gossip, what is the fruit that proceeds after that conversation? Did you leave with more wisdom so that you could actually now go to that person alone and deal with your offense? Or did you just feel a couple warm, warm fuzzies about being vindicated because your friend agreed with you? That's how you know. <laughs> Level three. Somebody's toes are being stepped on and that's okay. That is okay. You know what? Because you need to be free. If you're offended right now, it's the sound of chains falling off of you. Level three, when you can pray through it. Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The third level can be even harder than having to go and talk to someone about how you feel hurt by them. Sometimes it can. Because if you've ever tried praying for someone you're mad at, you know how difficult it is. And I'm not talking about these kind of prayers because some of us are like, I could pray for my enemy. Lord, I pray that that you would just turn their hearts and they they would just repent and they, they would just change. They would just know how wrong they are. It's easy to pray that prayer. I pray that you would just show them how right I am. (laughs) Give me a break. If you look back at level one and two, you'll notice that that both of those passages, 
passages have to do with someone actually sinning. Did you notice that in both those passages, it wasn't if you get your feelings hurt? Just because you got offended doesn't mean that someone else sinned. And if you are able to see that the offense you're holding is not due to a sin issue, I highly recommend you start with prayer. Because the pain you're feeling might have more to do with you than it has to do with them. I know it because I've been there. And if you are the issue, it might not be fruitful for you to go to explain to someone else how they're the issue. I get it that this isn't always clear cut and it takes discernment. Sometimes it's not super, super clear if it's a sin issue at hand, okay? So just to be safe, talk to God about the person and talk to God about your pain before you go and accuse the person of causing your pain. I'm gonna say that again for the people in the back. Talk to God about the person and talk to God about your pain before you go and accuse the person of causing your pain. Level four, when you can overlook it. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Glory here in the Hebrew is tefara, probably not pronouncing that right, but meaning beauty, honor, bravery, or majesty. Level four is getting deep. Level four is, is like expert level. When you're able to truly overlook an offense, it is your glory. It is honor. It is bravery. Now, what this doesn't mean is that we sweep sin under the rug. That's not what overlooking an offense is. This means that we are able to get over our own pain and selfishness in the situation and handle it with a level head according to the word of God. So the situation is not so tainted by our hurts and negative emotions. A word of caution about level four that I've learned in my own life. It is easy to deceive yourself into thinking that you have overlooked an offense when you have not. We can tell ourselves that we overlooked it. But overlooking and suppressing are not the same thing. If that offense comes up in a later conversation, you didn't overlook it. If that, if that offense comes up and it rises up inside of you, and inside of you whenever you're, 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 you're having a fight with that person at a later time, this, is, this one actually applies really well to kind of spouses. If it blurts out in an unrelated conversation, you didn't overlook it. If it's bouncing around in your head and causing you torment and you can't sleep over it, you didn't overlook it. It's easy to deceive yourself into thinking that you have overlooked an offense when you haven't. But when, it, when you can truly overlook, it is your glory. Level five, this is, the final, this is the final one. When you come prepared, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This final level is where we started, if you remember. We, this is from Philippians 2. This, I would argue, is the Jesus level of overcoming offense. This is the pinnacle. This is the top. You see, 
you might be asking, okay, so what does a verse about humility have to do with offense? Humility and offense are like oil and water. They don't tend to intermingle within a vessel. Think of others, thinking of others as more significant than yourself is actually a way of shielding yourself from offense. I want you to hear this quote, read this quote by, by Carlos Castaneda. It says this, self-importance is our greatest enemy. Think about it. What weakens us is feeling offended by the deeds and misdeeds of our fellow men. This last sentence is the kicker. Our self-importance requires that we spend most of our lives offended by someone. Our self-importance requires that we spend most of our lives offended by someone. See, Jesus had more right than any of us to be offended. Can we agree on that? He was perfect. He never sinned. He was God in the flesh. And yet he took on the punishment of the worst sinner imaginable. And what was his response? Was it to call down fire from heaven? James and John might've liked that, but it wasn't. Was it to seek revenge? Was it even for holy righteous judgment on his executioners? No. His prayer, according to Luke 23, 34, was this. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, Jesus had already dealt with his heart before the opportunity for offense came. Do you know what Jesus' prayer tells me about him? That he was unoffendable. When you have every imaginable wrong done to you, and by the way, you're the only one who ever could truly say they didn't deserve a single part of it, and you still aren't offended, unoffendable. And to take it one step further, I believe that he is inviting us into that very same place. A place where we are already dealing with our hearts before offense comes, so that when it does come, we're able to address it in a healthy way because we've already gotten our junk out of the way. This is whether our offender does the work or we have to do the work or we're able to pray through it or we're able to overlook it. In any of those situations, each of those levels, if you've dealt with your heart beforehand, you'll be able to navigate it in a healthy way. I wanna go back to my story for just a moment because there's a redemptive element to it. The Lord delivered me from the sickness of heart and the physical sickness that I've been battling in August of 2009. It was in a gathering, not so unlike this one, that I was brought to a place, well, I, this is how I would say it, is I was brought, brought to a place of ultimate vulnerability. I was so sick in my mind, in my heart, and in my body that I just didn't have any more defenses against what the Holy Spirit wanted to do inside of me. And I repented from how I'd been living. I remember going into that going, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fall for this. I'm not gonna, I literally was already building up like bitterness and strongholds intentionally, knowing that if I, that when I got in the presence, I was probably gonna turn into a puddle. And I did, but it wasn't just for emotions. It was for transformation. I went and confessed to my youth pastor at the time. 
He's the guy who preached a couple weeks ago, Joe Tuttle. I went and confessed to him that very same day. And I was never the same again after that. I almost allowed an offense. Think about it. I almost allowed an offense to ruin my life. I'm gonna say that again because some of you are in the middle of it right now and you don't even know. Some of you are in the middle of ruin and you don't even know that offenses and unforgiveness is what is destroying you. God reached out to me in a gathering just like this. He reached out to me and he invited me to a better way. He invited me on the path of forgiveness. He invited me on the path of reconciliation and restoration. And I said, yes, from the middle of my mess, from the middle of my junk, from the middle of the pit, as Psalm 103 would say, I said, yeah, everything that I'm doing is not working. I almost allowed an offense to ruin my life. What about you? What about you?